I will tell you, I think some of the best training grounds for customer experiences just to go out and get a job in sales or marketing. It doesn't need to be a sophisticated job, but there is ample opportunity to learn about the customer because I, I don't care if you are a barista at Starbucks or if you work behind you know, the counter at uh, Macy's. You're learning about what it takes to satisfy a customer and maybe that's not as directly translatable to a career on Wall Street or Procter & Gamble, but it, it is the same lesson. It is the same set of expectations that you have to quickly discern and then discover how to connect emotionally, how to connect with the heart and maybe provide somebody a solution that they didn't expect that they needed. Andrea Asaya is a Miami University alum, member of the school's business advisory council, and a must listen. She's had a wealth of business success, yet she credits the most important decision was getting her first job, her first job at Procter & Gamble. Learning the consumer and satisfying the consumer need, the customer need. It's this statement that has guided much of her professional career. We jump from business challenges, like a product recall as a company CEO, to the power of mentorship and paying it forward every single day. Andrea shares plenty of tips for college age and others in the workforce, especially about getting a job in sales or marketing to learn about the customer and journey. Where I sit on the Business Advisory Council, I think um, the biggest change that I have seen, having worked um, pretty closely with the curriculum and the international um, business environment, is a global orientation to business. I, I think when I was at Miami, we were very domestically focused, and certainly in 79, the integrated world supply chain and demand chain were not quite as evident as they are today, obviously, but I think Miami had um, been behind the curve, certainly versus some of the other schools I was associated with, namely Kellogg, where I got my master's two years later. I was uh, first exposed to global business and the intent of connecting people with similar needs with the right solutions. And I think Miami took a little bit longer than many schools, maybe because of its location, maybe because it was just so very good at what it did in centering on domestic issues. But uh, my observation is the global business orientation that has evolved at Miami has allowed it to become um, truly a premier business school, which I'd like to say was true at the day I graduated, but we never did rankings back then, so who knew? (laughs) But uh, it's been nice to see the school the um, professors, I think the students, I think the hiring constituents really focus on a much broader perspective for the uh, graduating student in terms of what they should be uh, able to talk about, willing to get into, and also to try to advance uh, with careers. Mm. And and personally, (laughs) I I graduated in 94, Mm -hmm. and my biggest change is freshman year, I walked on the campus with a brother word processor, and we all had phones in our dorms. I don't think those landline phones are sitting in Anderson Hall in those dorms. <laughs> anyway, what, what, what technology or lack of technology did you walk on the campus with when you started at Miami? That's a great question. Um, none of us had cell phones back then. Right. So like, like you just suggested, you know, you know, capturing connections and all, you had to go to your landlines for that or meet at, uh, you know, the library. It was just crazy, you know, when it comes to just connecting with folks. So the social systems were a lot more traditional back then. You had your sororities, you had your night out at, at the bar. We all went to the sporting events together really as a means of social connection. So you just had to work harder physically. There was a physical proximity requirement back in 70. 
1929. That didn't exist today. Mm-hmm. Also, you walk through that um, that new school, the business school, and you see the facilities. You talk about technological enhancement. They track the stock market daily. They give you real world feedback on you know business ideas and the implications of those. Um, you know, there, there's so much that uh, technology has enabled at Miami, but at every school. But when you see some of the changes in a little town like Oxford, Ohio, you think to yourself, wow, who would have thought that was possible? So it's allowed Miami to be connected, to be on the leading edge of, of a technology advancements. Also, it encourages, I think, Miami to think differently because when you see that capability, you then believe that you can be part of it as opposed to just have to respond to it. So I, I love what they did with the entrepreneurial program. I love what they did with funding some of these exciting new technologies. And I just think that um, we've got some really wonderful connections to our business community that allows that to continue because our students are expected to not only be knowledgeable in these areas, but some of what I've seen the last couple of years in terms of where our majors are focusing, the analytical depth that is possible through technology, uh, the ability for digital transformation of many industries that never considered that to be a competitive advantage before, and the fact that our students are not only well-equipped to help lead and discuss that, but some of the, the course curriculums and the uh, independent study programs that have been offered the last uh, number of years, I think, have really advanced on fronts that we never knew we needed to or we could possibly be very good at. So I, I like a lot of the technology that's evolved, but also the partnerships mm. that have been created with the business community to help keep those on, on truly a leading edge. Mm. And, as, and as you look back at your professional career, I guess, in totality, do you, is it a straight line? I mean, could you could you see the, why the first job led to the second, that led to the third, and then the, a path of, I guess, promotion, or or would you break your your professional career up into segments of time and, and focus? Great question. Um, I started my career at Procter and Gamble after a graduate degree at uh, Kellogg at Northwestern. And I picked Procter and Gamble because I was so excited about their focus on the consumer and satisfying consumer needs. And to this day, I will tell you that was the single most important decision I made in my career <laughs> because Procter, to this day, even though it's had some ups and downs the last decade, is the best at really identifying analytically what consumers' current wants are, but more importantly, being able to garner through their data and understanding new insights that help them lead future solutions that a lot of consumers wouldn't even be able to articulate. So my focus with P&G and my start of my career, I think, was probably the most influencing um, uh, experience I think I had, mostly because of that uh, consumer centricity. Now, when you think about my career, I had about uh, half of it in consumer products with Procter & Gamble and Unilever and Revlon, and then half of it in medical devices with Novartis, and now two of the three boards I'm on are, are medical devices. And what's interesting about my transition from the packaged goods industry into the medical devices industry is that medical devices woke up about 15, 20 years ago and understood that a disease state, an ailment, may not necessarily only involve a patient, but it may involve a consumer, a mm-hmm. consumer who has a lifestyle, a consumer who has health issues, caregivers, and rather than deal just with the disease and the patient, it was important to make a transition to deal with a human being and to bring both the heart and the science together and how 
we were able as um, particularly Novartis and a pharmaceutical and medical devices company to bring different and more holistic solutions than just disease care. And that's how consumer products candidates like myself who had those backgrounds were introduced into the medical devices industry. Also at the same time, it was happening in the pharmaceutical industry with deregulation. And I think um, we've enabled consumers to get smarter. We've encouraged them to have better dialogue with healthcare and also take greater responsibility in their healthcare. So for me, it wasn't the most obvious singular path, but it's started from essentially a core of consumer understanding and insight gathering that help lead to better benefits and need satisfaction in overall health care and uh, just enhancing humans' lives. Hmm. And you mentioned that I love that you have a full business professional career, but you go you still go back to P&G as the best business decision. And everything you just said was about the customer and the consumer and the change of how medical devices went. I'm curious when you stepped foot on the campus in Oxford, or even when you left, what were you thinking your business career was going to look like? Oh, I thought I was going to be the head of Procter & Gamble. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to be the first female CEO. <laughs> <laughs> I was that committed to marketing. I had the marketing program oh, at Miami, okay. and I had a major in marketing, minor in finance, and I just thought, what a great combination, and boy, you go to work for the greatest uh, consumer products company at the time, you'll be able to walk on the clouds <laughs> soon. So that's what I thought I was going to do, and um, you know, I, I didn't stick around at, at Procter uh, long enough to make that happen, but it was certainly a wonderful, wonderful training ground for me, and also just a great number of people. I think some of the people I met there, too, to this day have gone on to be so successful elsewhere, other types of companies, because of just the caliber of people that Proctor hired, the level of discipline they helped you get in just decision processes, and uh, just a, a good crew of people who continue to connect through their own alumni network. Hmm. And, and how about yourself personally in terms of style of business, style of leadership, or uh, just hierarchy? Curious how you you operate every day. Uh, there's, a, there's a big difference from running a business as you have at a number of those companies to being on boards where you're just providing guidance and hoping then the management team runs it. So I'm curious about your own style. Yeah, let me... Um I'm going to bring this back to uh, what I thought the core essence of my career has been, and it's all about the customer. Mm -hmm. And so I've never, never lost sight of that. I, I think as a leader, as both chief operating officer, chief executive officer, even when I was leading a European region that never had a female or an American lead it before, you know, to gain credibility and help others um, achieve the kind of vision and growth goals that you're looking to achieve, you got to make it real for them. And uh, it's not about you. It's not about them. It's not even about the company. It's about what we can do to delight the consumer. What is it that nobody in our industry has done or what is it that we're particularly good at that we could be even better to bring more of these users into our fold? And I think the same is true even on a board because sometimes when you make that transition, obviously you're moving from an operating role into more of an advisory capacity. It's very easy to get caught up in short-term goals given how so many of our investors and our markets respond to short-term 
ebbs and flows in a business. And one of the key responsibilities of a director is to keep people focused on long-term value creation. That's not to say we want to give up on short-term profitability, but it's critical that you understand where your markers need to be to create value. And for me, I found the role that I had um, almost greatest productivity in all of the parts I've done is to continue to focus questions about how does this better the results the consumer gets. How do we make their lives better? How do we improve their health? And how do they become more loyal and excited about their interaction and relationships with our brands and our services? And those kinds of questions help companies assume, um, I think, the right stance and really capture wherever their true north needs to be. So those are the kinds of things, um, as we talked earlier in this discussion, that, you know, frankly, they paid off early in my career. And I think they're continuing to pay off as I hope to continue to um, add value to the boards that I'm on. Hmm. And what about your biggest challenge? Or you know, was there was there a moment with one of these businesses where there was a particular issue or, or stumbling block um, that stands out in your mind? Or you know, as we talk about this straight line forward, was there moments where you you didn't know your own true north, as you just mentioned, and you really had to do some almost soul searching to figure out a direction you wanted to go? Yeah, I mean, everybody has problems or makes mistakes in business, and if you don't, you're not um, exploring potential Mm -hmm. far enough. So one of the uh, toughest decisions I had to make was to um, declare a global recall of a new product launch that uh, we had just done at Novartis um, in in the SEPA Vision unit. We were launching a new contact lens, and uh, we had thought it had achieved all of its goals. And after the first six months, it was performing brilliantly. But lo and behold, um, there was some uh, surface issues on the lens that created some very big distractions for some consumers of a different type of eye. And so when we sat down with the data, it was a very small number of users who had these problems. But we did identify an enhancement in our manufacturing process that uh, we knew knew we needed to make to improve upon the product's uh, appeal and comfort level. So rather than take sort of a, a piecemeal approach to it, we decided as a board, very difficult decision because of the cost, the fact that we were going to be out of business on the product for six months, and also the reputation impact, we decided to withdraw the products, um, discuss why we were doing it, and also then demonstrate what the improvement was going to be, and then ideally work back with our customers to hope that they would support us again and, and see that we were doing the right decision. But uh, it was an expensive decision at the time, and one that I wasn't sure was going to be well-received by the market or our customers, because we were being encouraged by many customers not to bother. It wasn't a big enough issue. And uh, I, I think in hindsight, we certainly did take the high ground. We made the right decision, painful, expensive. But um, after we relaunched the product some eight or nine months later, a little bit later than we thought, uh, we had great support. There was still a technological opportunity for the product. And uh, today, it's, um, I think, one of the best, if not the best-selling contact lens globally. So it, it was a smart decision at the time, but one that was very difficult to make because of the financial and reputational consequences. Hmm. So that that's one example yeah. that, um, frankly, I, I had to work through with some difficulty and some help from the team around me. Yeah. So stay there for a second. I'm, I'm curious, and certainly you have a, a team and a lot of leadership 
internally that you're working through, and I'm sure many were in agreement and, and some were raising their hands, maybe thinking a different path. How about in terms of outside the business for your role models or peers or people you've learned from? Did you lean in on them just to listen to how they would uh, approach situations? And it could be for that particular challenge or just even across your, your business life of using role models and mentors in your own personal learning? Well, we always um, were fortunate at um, Novartis because they had a pretty strong mentoring program. So I had a wonderful mentor who was a German leader from uh, one of the other business units. And um, he was always there as a great example for us relative to doing the right thing, so to speak. But I'll tell you, a lot of the influence from that particular example, the global product recall, I came back to the uh, J&J Tylenol experience, what uh, we all lived through when they had that product tampering case and how quickly they responded, how difficult it was, how much of a brand image impact uh, hit they were going to take, and also the financial implications were, were just staggering at the time, given the size of that brand of the company. And we studied as a team a lot of those case histories histories to say, look, you know, is it as serious? Does it have the consumer consequence? It's not an issue of who's at fault here, but let's talk about the implications of safe and healthy products and the long-term impact for the business and the, and the equity of the company. And that example really stood out for us relative to where we sought and, and got, I think, the greatest lessons learned and an and example and role model of how we'd like to handle our particular uh, global recall. So that, that's where we got, um, I, I think, our greatest nourishment and advice from. Hmm. And, and similar to advice and learning, and, and we've talked a lot about customers, uh, to a 19-year-old kid or a 22-year-old kid coming out of Oxford or a 24-year-old kid coming out of Kellogg, how, how do they learn about a customer if they don't have a job? Where are the places one can continually learn about the customer experience? Um, I will tell you, um, I think some of the best training grounds for customer experiences just to go out and get a job in sales or marketing. You know, it doesn't need to be a sophisticated job, but there is ample opportunity to learn about the customer because I don't care if you are a barista at Starbucks or if you work behind, you know, the counter at uh, Macy's, you're learning about what it takes to satisfy a customer. And maybe that's not as directly translatable to a career on Wall Street or Procter & Gamble, but it is the same lesson. It is the same same set of expectations that you have to quickly discern and then discover how to connect emotionally, how to connect with the heart and maybe provide somebody a solution that they didn't expect that they needed. Um, the other thing I would recommend, and I do this a lot in my mentoring programs, is I encourage people to take on any type of intern program that they can find, uh, paid or unpaid, it really doesn't matter. And because it's become so difficult in many uh, industries with the job market being so very uh, fertile right now, a lot of people are finding it difficult to get that ideal job. But um, I encourage them, offer yourself just for a summer. Get into a job that you are interested in or an industry that excites you. Offer to be an unpaid intern just so you can track and follow how decisions are made, sit in meetings, 
and just learn from the folks who are doing this every day. It helps you understand where your passions may be. And it also is pretty uh, non-consequential to the businesses as well if they have somebody that's free of charge and they get your great advice. And I think Miami has done more of that in college right now because I know I've helped with a couple of externships there. And uh, I think that's one of the greatest ways to learn if you don't have a job and you're looking at an industry to see if you can fit in it and it desires, uh, you know, the kinds of skill sets you think you have. Hmm. And you have a lot of opportunities because of uh, your your past career, your current career, and one of those choices that uh, you continue to do and help is be part of Miami's Business Advisory Council. Why? I love giving back. Yeah. You know, I'm one of those people that like to pay it forward, and I didn't get to where I was without the help of a lot of other people. And sometimes you're smart enough to ask for it, and sometimes you're not. So I very much enjoy um, the ability to help others. I have created mentoring programs for high potential leaders and female leaders throughout my career. I had the uh, most diverse leadership team at Novartis while I was the CEO of my business unit. And I continue to work with all of the companies at the board level to make sure that there are mentoring programs for high potentials and for uh, advancing females. Uh, we still have a lot of work to do on both. A lot of companies don't do as good a job teaching and training and developing people to their full potential early on. So career pathing is an important part for me as well. So I, I, I enjoy it. I'll tell you, as a mentor and a mentee, I've learned on both sides of that equation. And today I still mentor about six individuals, mm. both men and women, and I continue to reach out uh, to folks who need help. In fact, just last week I had a call from a uh, 55-year-old woman mm brilliant career. She is a PhD. She worked in healthcare, but she worked in the private sector and was looking for help to get onto a public board in healthcare. We spent about an hour and a half on the phone together, connected by someone we both both knew but didn't know each other. And I gave her as much advice and help as I could, and we've agreed to continue to talk so that I can help her make that transition. And it, it just brings me joy that um, if I can help, I very much love to do so. And you mentioned at the very beginning you graduated in, in 1979, and we're now in 2020, and, and you're fortunate enough to get back to Miami with the Business Advisory Council. When you go back to Miami 41 years after graduation, where is the first place you go and visit? Or if you get 15 minutes of extra time when you're on campus, <laughs> where, where is that one place that brings back all those memories for you? Up in March. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think I must have walked through that a thousand times when I was in school, and I think that that always has been sort of my true north of Miami. It's a lovely campus. All the buildings that have been added over the years certainly give it an enhanced feel of sophistication and strength. But uh, Upper March was always my centering uh, place and a uh, place that I always go back and get a big old smile on my face. Thanks, Andrea, for the time. Your continued commitment to Miami is fantastic. And our conversation refocused my own attention to the customer journey. And I appreciate you sharing a lot of your kind words. See you at Old Skippers real soon, everybody.